Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Plain Accounts Weekly Podcast. Uh, I'm Alicia McClintock here with a guest co-host. We've got Pastor Megan Manson with us again this week. We'll be opening the gospel text to read the lectionary passages to see what God might be having to say to us today. Um, Megan, how are you this week? How has preaching through the gospels been treating you? Any thoughts before we come to the scripture today? Uh, lots of thoughts. Um, maybe not all of them good ones, but lots of thoughts. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, um, as I was preaching yesterday, I kind of confessed to my people, um, how deeply I don't want to be preaching through Matthew's gospel right now. Mm-hmm. Um, because Matthew's gospel in particular makes these such strong claims on us regarding the, our participation in the kingdom of heaven. And we are in perhaps one of the more perhaps one of the most divisive political seasons we have like any of us have lived through Mm -hmm. um though there have certainly been some very divisive political times um but and so I just kind of confess that to many people like it would be way easier for me not to be preaching these things but I think that's probably why God has called us to be preaching these things um and so I've been sitting a lot in um something that Scott Daniels has said, which is um, that we actually live in a lot of other kingdoms other than the kingdom of God mm. um, and our, give our allegiance to those other kingdoms, which is where the root of the word faith in Greek comes from is actually about loyalty and allegiance. Mm-hmm. And if we are putting our loyalty and allegiance in other kingdoms, then we are putting our faith in um, false idols and processing through all of those sorts of things has been uh, challenging and wonderful and awful and fun. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the pulpit. <laughs> challenging and wonderful and awful and fun. <laughs> That's a hashtag. <laughs> um, yeah, but you're but you're so right. Like I think the more like the more closely I read the Gospels year after year, the more starkly I hear this call toward complete obedience to Jesus, and the more drastic those invitations feel to me, the more significant the sacrifice seems, the more, um, yeah, the more I'm aware of the costliness of this discipleship. Um, And then especially here, the passages that we're reading are from the end of the Gospel of Matthew and the end of Jesus's ministry. Our passage for today is like right in the middle of Jesus's like, uh, time in Jerusalem. We, this is post-triumphal entry, post-cleansing of the temple. Jesus is already in hot water and has like limited time to say what he needs to say. And, and it's getting real. Like he, he's got some really harsh things to say to the religious authorities. He's got some really specific things to say about this faith or this obedience or allegiance to the kingdom. And And it's all feeling very resonant as we're in this season where our cultural calendar is leading up toward an election here in the United States. Um, But our Christian calendar is leading up to Christ the King Sunday. Um, And so those things are feeling really, um, really salient in my mind and in my preaching imagination lately. And I am approaching the task really humbly. Agreed. Uh, yeah, I think the hum- the humility that these texts are bringing out is um, humbling. 
Yeah. Well, speaking of humility and um, authority, that's one of the big themes of our passage for today. I'm reading from the NRSV, and our passage this week is Matthew chapter 21, and we'll read verses 23 through uh, 32. Um, Listen to the word of the Lord. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, well, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not, but later changed his mind and went. The father went to the second son and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him, and even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Okay, there's a handful of things that are happening here. There's this like showdown between Jesus and the Pharisees. So I feel like we ought to talk about um, some of some of those elements. We've been in the parable so long that we've kind of forgotten about this other running thread throughout the Gospels that the Pharisees are always kind of preoccupied with the power and authority of Jesus. So I think we we should talk about some of that. But it, we've got like a, a kind of teaching moment, like a dialogue section, and then this other really brief parable, like a story illustration. Um, and then this nod back toward John and uh, Jesus's vocation and mission. So there's like a handful of things to untangle here. Where do you think we should start? What's feeling most um, significant to you at the moment? Um, I was just reflecting on, um, especially um, in Matthew's gospel, that Jesus often pairs an explicit teaching with a parable, and then mm-hmm. followed by um, and kind of another explicit teaching out of that parable, and how, um, um, and just how Jesus doesn't address, um, with this parable, doesn't address the question that the Pharisees ask, but addresses the way that they answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I always find it um, fascinating, um, these kind of snapshots um, where Jesus seems to be able to read the minds of the Pharisees. <laughs> um, like in John's gospel, John, John's really explicit. Like he knew what was in their hearts. He knew what they were thinking. But you kind of see that Jesus is kind of reading the hearts of the Pharisees and responds to that issue with a parable, um, kind of unveiling something in that. Um, but I do think, um, like you said, it's very interesting that with the question of Jesus's authority, 
Jesus draws all the way back to John. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, man, in some ways, I feel like John puts, like, makes Jesus feel like the minor leagues in, in like, a, in, like, going on the offensive against the Pharisees. Like, oh, totally. John pulls no punches. Um, it's kind of almost mean. Is that <laughs> like, yeah. And, and that's like, a, like, that's what Jesus is saying. John came to you in the way of righteousness. John came to you in the way of the prophets, right? Like yes. he came in, in the, in the uniform that you ought to recognize, right? Like he, he came in the same way that the other prophets have come before him, Isaiah, Jeremiah, right. Ezekiel, Hosea, Amos, right? Like the the list goes on. Right. This is this is like what you've come to expect and to recognize from a prophet, and and you should have been able to receive him. He he came to you in a palatable way. I mean, sure, the message was really harsh, but like, what do you expect? Like this is this is a long line of faithful prophetic work that mm-hmm. and the, those oracles are not kind right? They're no, not never, they never on the tongue. They're always like this hard punch. And that's exactly what John brings. Yeah. And like you're saying, right, that John came to you palatable and in ways that you should expect. And yeah, I have come to you in the opposite way and you're still rejecting it. So it's not actually, it's like unveiling this. It doesn't matter how it's said to you. You're actually rejecting um, to go into the parable, right? The man, the, the, the owner of the field, Mm-hmm. the owner of the vineyard, you're actually rejecting God. Um, and no matter how God spoke to you, you would reject it. Right. This is, this is where Jesus basically says, it's not us, it's you. Like, <laughs> it's on you. This is the final, this is the final breakup. Right. Yeah. Which, which is, um, which is also really interesting because Jesus still tries to offer them this opportunity to change their minds. Cause that like mm-hmm. changing of their minds um, right. So is pre- yeah. And it's present in both of these. Right. So, so it's not just like, I, I guess I'm, I'm completely floored by Jesus's forever compassion, even in these difficult moments of conflict and confrontation, he's always offering them a chance to change their mind. Like he never treats them as a totally lost cause. You know what I mean? He says like, like here, here's what's happening. And here's a story about somebody who changed their minds. You could do that too. And then they're just not, they're just not able. They, they refuse Mm to. Yeah. Um, Which um, one of our leading conversations we had is about this, um, this word authority. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really significant to this conversation um, as well. Um, And who has, the right to change our minds. Um, do you wanna... Yeah. 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 And who, yeah. Who has, who has the right to change our minds or, or what, what right do we have to hold on to previous mm-hmm. ways of thinking or being or behaving? Yeah. And I think that, right. That the, the question here isn't just, um, isn't just the question behind the question who gave you this authority is, is the statement, we didn't give it to you. So it's not valid. Right. Right. Like that, that's the, that's what's lurking behind this question. Who gave you this authority is the Pharisees. Um, sorry, the chief priests and elders um, in this section 
um, yeah. sitting in the sitting in a place of authority, saying you didn't receive it from us, and so it is not valid. Mm-hmm. And Jesus flips that around and says, "You did not receive what God had sent you, and you did not change your minds, and so your authority is actually what's invalid." Right? Yeah they have set themselves up as these gatekeepers and Jesus points to the ways that they ought to have been exactly the ones who noticed God coming amongst them, God's word being revealed in a fresh and powerful way. They like, they were supposed to be the ones who got it and saw it. Right. But they were so obsessed with their own authority, their own power um, and maintaining that kind of status quo that they couldn't receive John and they couldn't receive Jesus. And they're so focused on this gatekeeping work that they're actually missing God's reign coming to them. They're actually missing God's new creation happening right in their midst. And, and that's, that's a tragedy to me. Agreed. Um, Which I think takes us pretty well into the parable. Um, because, um, yeah, just these two sons also have this invitation. Um, if we, we remember from our conversation last week about the vineyard is God's space and throughout yeah. scripture, it's used as imagery for God's space. And we see another, another person, another vineyard owner, um, inviting both of his sons, inviting both of his children to participate in this creation, to participate in this space. And, um, and we have a very interesting parallelism here with the sons. Um, the first one says, I will not, but later changed his mind and went. And the second son says, I go, sir, but he did not. Um, and so with parallelism, we look for what's, um, what changes in these two similar structures. And what we see changes is that the first son changes his mind and the second son, it doesn't say he changes his mind. Um, and so the implication is that he was never going to go in the first place. Um, and I think this, um, this, these two sons, um, highlight something that I think often our holiness theology and our preoccupation with having, um, right motivation and right action, um, has often causes us to celebrate those who say the right things and lack the right actions mm-hmm. over those who change over the course of time. Um, I think of like kind of the old school, you know, like when were you sanctified questions? <laughs> I was sanctified in 1968 and I haven't been since, right? Like that, that kind of, um, that kind of thinking, um, one, I think is a very limited understanding of our doctrine of entire sanctification. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, uh, it just causes us to celebrate those people instead of the people who are like, you know, I was saved 30 minutes ago. Right. And consistently throughout the gospels, Jesus reminds us that heaven celebrates more over the one lost sheep returned than the 99 who stay. Mm-hmm. And I think that this parable really challenges our evangelical sensibilities where we celebrate people who say the right things and look the right way and act um, outwardly the right way, um, at least in visible sorts of ways. And we fail to hold them accountable when they say, yes, I'll go to the vineyard and don't go. Yeah. Um, 
Totally. I, I also think that we're, that we see in this parable, um, yeah, the, those, those mixed motives or this like preoccupation with saying yes on the outside. I think we're also seeing that sometimes it's easy to say you want something and so difficult to follow through, especially when we're talking about this working in the vineyard, working for and with and alongside God's reign in the world, a reign of light and love and peace and justice. It's one thing to say like, oh yeah, I'm super into Jesus. I'm way for it. Very cool. <laughs> and another thing to like pick up your cross, another thing to consistently locate yourself at the back of the line, another thing to be throwing a party and inviting all of the folks who are undesirables, so to speak. And it's, a, it's another thing to be counting the cost of this way and then to be working for justice, for reconciliation, to be a peacemaker, to be a mourner, to be someone who's hungry and thirsty for righteousness. It's like, it's totally another thing to, to be on that way with Jesus. And sometimes we say that we want that and then don't follow through because it's hard, because we are comfortable, because it's inconvenient, because of a million, a million other reasons, right? And so I, I see right. a lot of this like second son in myself. It's, it's one thing to hear God's invitation and to say like, yeah, I'm for that. I'll do that. And then to be so caught up in my own in my own rights, my own comfort, my own whatever, fill in the blank, and then not follow through, you know? Yeah. And I think, right, that um, because the invitation here is also um, that Jesus is extending to the Pharisees is a complete reversal. Um, like repentance in the Hebrew language is yeah. to, uh, to repent, is to completely turn around. Mm -hmm. um, so really to change your direction to change your mind and we see some pretty significant places in the old testament where god changes god's mind um like in the jonah narrative um when like it says god changes god's mind about destroying nineveh um and just this idea right that like it really is consistently consistently throughout this gospel jesus is reminding us that the kingdom of god the kingdom of heaven requires a total reversal of everything that of all of our values of all of our behaviors of all of our actions of our very hearts uh, this restoration of a new heart um, and what we see here is um, Jesus really lifting up tax collectors and prostitutes these are these are chief sinners in the minds of the uh, the the chief priests and the elders right these are people who cannot be redeemed tax collectors are traitors mm -hmm. um, and prostitutes are women and they are women who have no morals, right? That they're just, they, you can't get any lower than that. And yet Jesus is saying that they have changed, um, which takes me all the way back to our parable three weeks ago, right? That they have been forgiven an insurmountable debt and yeah. you're still holding them accountable for something that you feel they owe you. Um, and yet Jesus is saying here, right, these ones that you have declared completely outside the bounds of God's kingdom are actually the ones who have become first because you have made them last. And because you have put yourselves first and declared your authority as more important than the authority of God, who that has been revealed in John, that has been revealed in Jesus, because you have flipped yourselves to the front and said that your authority is what matters. 
they're going ahead of you because you will be last. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then, and, and sort of, it seems to me like the subtext here that Jesus is saying is like all of those actions, you putting yourself first, you usurping the authority of God and making yourselves the gatekeepers, you declaring that some folks are unredeemable or outside, like you, you doing all of these things makes you the actual traitor, the actual unfaithful one to the kingdom of God. Um, where, whereas you think the, the tax collectors are betrayers and traitors of God's people and God's work in the world, you refusing to see what God's doing here and now makes you the actual traitor or betrayer. Or you think these prostitutes are like unredeemable, the lowest of the low, and, and you actually have placed yourself in, the, in that position because you have such hard hearts that you cannot receive what God is doing. Which, um, which we see come to full fruition in the uh, religious leaders aligning themselves with the empire, with the Roman authorities in order to have Jesus crucified. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that's almost like this prophetic word in both the foretelling of the future, what's going coming with Jesus's crucifixion, but also the revealing the present, the foretelling, right? We see this double edge of Jesus's prophecy here and saying like, you already are doing this. And so if you align yourself with the empire to have me killed, it's just a continuation of what you're already doing. You said that you were going to work the fields. You said that you were going to participate in God's good creation and God's redeeming of the all things and restoring of all things. And you have never done that. Um, which, right, pulls really hard on, we have so many persons, um, especially in the West, who claim Christianity as a cultural um, sort of mechanism that they claim be followers of Jesus, but actually are just fairly polite people. Mm-hmm. Um, and who are sweet, who are like great neighbors, who, are, who like they're nice. Kind sure, of, they're great. Yeah, sure, right. Um, but Jesus didn't call us to like niceness and politeness. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say we shouldn't be nice and polite. That's not what I'm suggesting. We shouldn't just all be buttholes. But um, um, but that calling to righteousness is calling to um, this calling to live in the way is so much deeper than I don't say mean things to people's faces. Um, I don't say oop and scoot out of somebody's way when I bump into them. Um, right. That there is this going beyond that and even delving into legalism, which as evangelicals, we are chief among sinners for legalism, right? That Jesus is saying that legalism isn't simply just um, one bad thing among many, right? Um, but flat out says it is far better to have lived an entire life of sin and then change your mind and become different according to the gospel. To become, sorry, my dogs are in the background. Um, become wholeheartedly different because of the gospel. Yeah. And says that to participate in legalism is to miss the gospel entirely. Yeah. It's not just to only have a piece of it, which is often how I think I've heard legalism talked about in the church, right? That legalism is just getting like a taste of the kingdom and missing out on the rest of it. Jesus is saying it's not in the kingdom at all. Um, yeah. That which, this, yeah. Which, yeah, it becomes then so frightening as like a, 
as like a faith leader, a leader of a congregation, someone who's meant to be a shepherd of a flock, because this, like, we're so preoccupied with getting it right and doing the right thing. I think like most of our people have super genuine hearts and, and want to be on the right path, right? And so they're looking, they're looking for those rules, they're looking for those boundaries, they're looking for that way of being. And and I I think I've grown a lot in offering the Pharisees like a compassionate and generous explanation. I, I mean, I think at their roots, they genuinely want to do what is right. They genuinely hope to o- obey the law. I also think that gets all twisted up inside of them when it becomes also about their own power and prestige and authority and kind of like keeping the status quo so that they are totally unwilling to receive a new thing that God is doing. Um, but oh, I, absolutely. But I do think at the root, there's this like, there's, there's such the strong desire to get it right, but that also can so easily be co-opted that when, when we're searching for that certainty, like this is the only way that it can be, this is how it has to look all the time. I think that's the place where where we we start self-selecting out of God's new and and surprising kingdom work. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah, to use some of Jesus' other kind of perils, right? We see this consistent theme that those who are unable to receive grace for what it is are unable to mediate grace. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's um so much of um where I guess I see myself among the Pharisees, right, is that it's really honestly difficult to receive grace for ourselves. Mm -hmm. But when we are unable to recognize um, the grace that we have received, whether because we feel unworthy of it or we um, think we just don't need it and so don't recognize it in our lives, um, wherever we fall along that spectrum, um, it becomes increasingly difficult to pass that grace and forgiveness along, um, which is what we see with the Pharisees, right? That they don't, um, they don't extend grace outside the bounds of the rules that keep them inside. Um, and so what, yeah, so I just think that's um, a really apt, um, highlight that you point us towards. Um, and with that, right, that this, um, that they like are unwilling to give grace to tax collectors and prostitutes. And yet, right. We see that throughout the prophets, the prophets are often calling um, Israel um, a prostitute um, calling. And then at different points, even saying, you're not even a prostitute. You won't receive payment. Um, And um, just all of these, this use of this imagery of prostitutes against Israel and yet um, and yet they flip that around and then reject those who are actually literally prostitutes and the same thing with the tax collectors that they are so quick to shove tax collectors out and call them traitors to the kingdom of God or call them traitors to Torah and yet they are willing to betray these things in order to do away with a political rival in Jesus, right? To do away with this rival of authority and rival of um, the hearts of the people. Yeah, so I, I mean, I just feel deeply convicted by texts like these and the, the whole arc of scripture to say like, Lord, keep, keep my heart soft and my, and my mind open so that I may receive like this new and surprising thing that you're doing. I don't, I don't want 
ever to be so caught up in the way things have been that I miss what's happening now. And I, I think that's, that's what's happening with the, with the Pharisees here, that they're so, that they're so stuck in this one direction um, that despite however many invitations they've received, they, they really just can't change their mind or change their hearts or change their direction. Um, and, and so this, this parable of the, of the son who says like, nah, that's not for me, but then changes his mind and goes to work um, is a deeply compelling image. Agreed. Um, and I think it's one that cuts across, like you said, it challenges us no matter where we find ourselves. Um, you can just as much use this image for people who participate in performative justice, right? Mm -hmm um or like keyboard warriors across all political spectrums right sure. and just as easily use it um use this image of the two sons for those who um like it it just i think the the power and beauty of this parable is that it leaves none of us unexposed um right. regardless of what we hold to ideologically or um, politically or socioeconomically, it, it cuts across all of us because we all have the capacity to performatively say, yes, I want to follow Jesus and then be unwilling to do the labor of the vineyard. Yeah, yes. And, and I feel like that's the call of the scripture is to say, like, like Jesus is calling. Jesus invites you to the work. Um, are you going to show up? And, and I don't think it has to be in super, like, crazy, dramatic sort of ways. I mean, I mean, I think eventually they become, like, really, uh, really scandalous when we're actually deeply committed to following Jesus. But I don't know. I guess I, I've been thinking a lot. We were talking about this a little bit ago. I've been thinking a lot about the small steps, like, like the, the small moves, um, the the ways that we that we show up and listen to someone, the ways that we offer a compassionate and loving presence, the ways that we um, uh, step away from performative justice into actual justice, even if it's just a $5 donation. Or I, I guess I, I've been thinking about the ways that even just small steps reveal a changed mind and a changed heart and then build in us the strength to continue to do um bigger and deeper things along the kingdom way yeah good stuff. And any other kind of like how how are you bringing this to your people this week any other sort of homiletical handles or or kind of preaching moments that that you think are um are important or resonant this week Um, man, I mean, I think in so many ways, um, this, um, this passage might lend itself really well to like the four pages of a sermon form in terms of like homiletic forms, um, because it kind of has this, um, the same kind of dual nature, right? The problem, the solution, the problem, the solution sort of movement, um, but interestingly, the solution that Jesus offers also illuminates the deeper problem. Um, and so, yeah, um, I think perhaps um, 
one of the things I think to wrestle with in preaching this text is to not, um, like you said, to not end without offering the compassion that we see Jesus still have for the Pharisees and kind of mm-hmm. still extending this invitation to change their minds, um, to not to not forsake that our people who may um, struggle with this legalism or struggle with actually submitting to the authority of Jesus instead of the authority of something else, um, that they may, um, they may not need us to browbeat them into doing better. They may need us to simply offer, um, offer a better way and they may indeed choose it and walk upon it. Um, and so to kind of hold those things in tension that in so many ways, this is very incisive. Um, this cuts to the very quick of our sensibilities about who's in, who's out legalism, um, how we achieve inward status, mm-hmm. um, while simultaneously holding that Jesus is still extending this invitation to these, um, chief priests and elders that Jesus is still offering to them the opportunity to change their mind. And I wonder if perhaps um, the key to preaching this text might be to make that invitation to change their minds very explicit for our people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I need to, I need to sit in that a bit, I think, even for myself. Totally. I agree. I, I yeah, I do think a lot of our pastoral work will be, um, discerning where our people might need to change their minds and how to offer um, a gentle and consistent invitation to do so. Um, and that's, that's the sort of thing that can only be worked out as, as you're listening to your own people um, and, and prayerfully considering like your, your next communal step together. I, I think that's, that's maybe the other thing that's sitting with me um, is, is not just a, a personal repentance or personal um, changing of mind, changing of direction, um, but the ways that that uh, is also communal work as well. Like where, where might our community, I, I mean, our local congregation, but also like our denomination, our, like our holistic understanding of the community of God, where, where might we need to change our minds, change our hearts, change our directions? Um, what does Jesus have to say about that? Um, how do we, how do we faithfully keep ourselves open to the new work of the spirit happening here and now? And I don't have any answers for that, but, but those are the questions I'm left resonating with. Absolutely. I think those, yeah, I don't think there's anything to add to that. I just think that's (laughs) this has been such a fun conversation um always great to open the scriptures and um and to see what they might be saying to us today and to find that they're forever perpetually relevant so thanks so much for joining me in this chat Um, a reminder to all of our listeners to check out the commentaries on our website there's a bunch of stellar contributors there um find us on all of the social media uh we love to see your comments especially on the facebook discussion group so if there's some things that we've missed or things that you're thinking about questions you're pondering please drop them there we love to see those conversations unfold so Thanks so much for tuning in. Preach boldly. We pray that you may offer a chance to your people to change their minds um, and to follow Jesus one step at a time. Peace, and we'll see you next week.